Welcome to Things to Know. I'm Luca, and on this show, we talk to the people that make the Thingdoms special. Today, we're talking to Brandon Fuschita, an ex-college basketball player at The Ohio State, an NFT enthusiast, and the founder of Moby Dick 3PL, a full-service fulfillment company that's worked with some of the biggest names in social media and media more broadly. I hope you enjoy this interview, but more importantly, I hope you learn something. Thank you so much for coming on today. Why don't you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Who are you? Uh, my name is Brandon Foose Cheatham. Um, I'm a founder and CEO of a e-commerce 3PL company called Moby Dick Unlimited. Um, my background is um, I play basketball at Ohio State. So I got um, a four-year scholarship there. Was part of a couple good teams from 01 through 05. Um, so I'm based out of Columbus, Ohio. Um, married got uh, two young girls five and three and um my 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 business uh ventures started back in 2012 so um i can kind of get into that and how that all started and 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 maybe um how that business evolved to where i am at today so yeah i uh i would love to dive into that but before we do you threw out something that I at least find incredibly interesting and would feel bad if we moved past it without talking about basketball, Ohio State. Yep. Tell me a little bit about that experience. Did you enjoy playing in college? Was that always something you wanted to do? Like, Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so so when I was young, I was just really into sports. My uh, my pops really pushed me into, you know, basketball um, and football. And um you know, when I went to high school, um, we had a really good team. You know, we won the state finals um, there. Um, I was like an All-American. I was a top five point guard in the country. So I got recruited by basically everyone. Um, and me being based in, in out of Pittsburgh, um, I thought Ohio State was the best fit for me. It's three and a half hours away. Um, it was the Big Ten. Um, and, and, and I just was really, a, you know, just a big fan of Ohio State growing up, too. Um, mainly, obviously, because of their football. Um, so when I got recruited there, I uh, committed um, and then I uh, came on and, and, and had the time of my life. Um, it was um, definitely a learning experience, you know, coming into a college where, you know, I was all American. I was, um, you know, first team all state. I was Mr. Basketball in, in, in the entire state of uh, PA. Um, coming into a new environment is definitely a wake up call going from high school to college. Um, you know, the competition is just ridiculous. Um, and then just being able to manage your life on your own with all the distractions that come with college. Um, you know, obviously you got to, you know, play your sport. You got to make it to class. And then, um, you know, socially just having that much freedom and in, 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 in trying to manage everything and your priorities um, is definitely a, um, um, basically like an eye opener um, for any kid. So I think it was amazing. It, it, you know, the network that I created there, I think, really helped, you know, in the future. Um, a lot of the things that I came back to and a lot of the people I leaned on were relationships that I built, you know, back from, um, you know, the Ohio State days. So um, that was definitely a big part of my life. Um, I'm still really involved with, you know, basketball there at Ohio State. I'm, I'm, I'm there at the games and stuff, um, pretty tight with the coaching staff and the players. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was it was an unbelievable experience. We had some really good teams. We had some pretty crazy games that I can still remember, but yeah, it was definitely, it, it's, it's definitely a part of my foundation and who I am today. Yeah. That, that sounds like an incredible experience. I'm not a college athlete, but I have a, a couple friends who are, 
And like you were saying, it it feels like a wake up call, even beyond what a normal college kid would have, because yeah. you have that responsibility of like, yeah. I am playing for the school. I'm here. Yeah. I mean, I assume mostly on on the scholarship. Um, it, there's just a, a different level of responsibility and work ethic that it starts to build. Students. Um, and I, I think that's just fascinating. Um, pivoting out of that, like you said, a lot of those those connections benefited you in business, um, built up those habits. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you have done in the business world? What have you started um, and how did that come about? Because I find it fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. So when I when I was done with college, um, I was a volunteer coach there for about two years. Um, and then I moved out to L.A. And when I moved out to L.A., um, it's when I got my entrepreneurial spirit of you know, I would like to do something creative. I'm, I mean, I'm not a singer. I'm not anything like that. But you, when you're out in L.A., you just see so much inspiration. And when I was out there, I, I saw like T-shirts and stuff were a pretty big deal. Like everyone just wore, you know, chill, chill outfits, uh, you know, ripped up jeans and just a plain T-shirt or, or a graphic T-shirt. And when I was out there, I, I, I got like a book and I just start drawing and writing T-shirts, like graphic T-shirts. And um when I was out there, I had an opportunity to come back for a startup here back in Ohio. And um, so I was in a startup, um, like a sports technology startup. And while I was doing that, I always had this dream of creating something like a T-shirt. And while I was doing that, I, I said, you know what, I'm just going to try it. Um, so I went on. Um, I basically had my brother-in-law um, or at the time, my girlfriend's brother help with just setting up, you know, like an e-commerce store and we made a couple t-shirts. Um, and it was just pretty crazy because, um, you have no idea what anything like any business is about until you're in it. So I'm thinking you could just make t-shirts. Okay. I can make this t-shirt. I can make that t-shirt. And I had all these grand ideas. And then it said, well, in order for you to make a t-shirt, you got to buy a certain minimum. You got to um, by certain sizes. And then when one size would go low, you would have to re-up, but you couldn't just order like three or four of them. You had to re-up on, on a minimum order. And so very quickly, I realized that my ideas couldn't come to life unless I had some really crazy sales or my infrastructure had to change. Um, and so what happened was um, I was able to run into a guy who had a print-to-order type of model. So um, you could create something, create a SKU for it, um, and then if someone ordered it, they could take that blank and then just print on demand and ship it. And, and, and that became one of the things that kind of opened up my creativity was I, I, I had freedom to now actually go in and make something um, that that I thought could sell. Um, because we were in the Ohio State market, we had um, a lot of inspiration just from the sports here. And because I played basketball and because of the relationships I had, I was able to contact you know, the current NBA or NFL guys that were, you know, that I that I played with that were in, you know, the NBA or the NFL or anyone new coming out of a high state coming in to go into the NBA or NFL, I had connection to. And and so what happened was I started making some really cool designs and and, and these guys starting to wear it and they were getting attention. And it was like, well, I could make something, put it on a website, get some attention. And then um, or some of these guys were wearing them at press conferences or they were on TV and, and then people started to Google that shirt and my name would start to pop up. And so we start, you know, creating those relationships and really start to see how um, 
we didn't even call them influencers back then. They were just celebrities or, you know, athletes. Yeah. Um, we started to see the power of, of, of that. And then that's when social media became a really big thing. Instagram became a really big thing around that time. And then YouTube became really big. And so I took that model um, and we had a couple viral moments. So I had a couple of things where that happened in sports. I would make like a really cool T-shirt that was like something happened on TV that the whole world was talking about. I was able to get that on a website and post it within an hour. And I was always first to market and it became like we started to become known as this viral T-shirt company that was way ahead of the game of like, man, I wonder it started to become a, a joke where they were like, I wonder if so and so, which was Lamp Apparel, that was the name of our company, is like, I wonder what they're going to come out with for that. I can't wait to see what they got. And so we became that thing. And then um, what happened was, is um, we just started to get, a, you know, we started to get attention. Um, we opened up a a retail store down in the arts district here. Um, so we had an actual physical location. And what happened was that physical location kind of became a hot spot for these local um, YouTube stars. So um, Roman Atwood, I'm not sure if you know him um, from YouTube. Um, he's from Columbus. And, and I remember um, I started to make some t-shirts for him and we started building a relationship. Um, he, he said, hey, we're, it was like a Black Friday. He's like, hey, I got a, I got a new kid in town he wants to shoot a Black Friday video. Can is he allowed to use your store? And I was like, Yeah, whatever. So it was like a 16, 17 year old kid, and happened to be Logan Paul. And I created a relationship with him, and um, I started giving him all my gear. Like, Hey, man, you know, you're popping on Vine. Um, you're, I heard you're moving into YouTube, and so he just started wearing a lot of my stuff in his videos for free. Like, you know, he, I didn't pay him. He didn't pay me. I just, I just gave it to him, and he's like, I just love the feel of it. And then. Um, so we started hitting a lot of these social media stars and, and then uh, I was still making all my sports stuff. So I don't want to draw this too long, but I'm making all my sports stuff. And then he started to become really big on YouTube by doing a daily vlogs. And I saw an opportunity there and I approached him and I said, hey, man, what if, you know, you like my brand, you see how I run my social media, you see our, our, our quality and the design that we have. Um, instead of you wearing even my stuff on, on your vlogs or Nike or Puma, what if we created your brand and, and and what if we ran it and what if we designed it and all you have to do is wear it and market it. And he was like, dude, I think that's a great idea. So it took about three months to go through the whole craziness of the lawyers and everything. And um, we got up to his birthday and it was like his birthday was two days away. And I was like, dude, like we, we it's either we're going to do this or we're not like everyone's getting in the way, the lawyers, the managers, everyone's getting in the way. You want to do this. I want to do it. Let's just make this happen. And he was like, dude, I'm in. Um, can you get a website and everything up by my birthday? And that was probably within 48 hours. And I was like, I think so. So I remember for about 48 hours, I had to bring in some other young guys and um, really help build this out as fast as we could. And we launched his website on his birthday. So we launched the Maverick, the Maverick brand. And we had no idea what the hell we were doing. Um, I mean, we, we knew this was going to be okay or big, but we had no idea the power of what social media was at that time when it came to this new YouTube star and, and, and that audience and that community that they brought in. And so then our first year with Logan Paul, um, we did about $33 million in sales. And we went from mom and pop shop making t-shirts just locally, I guess you would say, and some social media to now uh, an international brand managing an operation that large. 
and it was just craziness. So after that, we went into guys like Mr. Beast, we went into Ninja, and we started doing all their merchandise, and we became um, a hotspot for some of the top YouTube stars in the world. And then out of that, and this is where we get to where I'm doing e-commerce fulfillment, is our we, we just didn't fit into other 3PL facilities that could do fulfillment because we were so viral. So we created our own warehouse and that department basically became now our bread and butter and our foundation of that's what we're known for. And now we service, you know, about 60 to 70 brands out of our 80,000 square foot warehouse. But the evolution of our business was we, we were, had a couple of T-shirts online, came into a store, started doing uh, social media merch, athletes merch. And then now it's kind of one of our departments just completely blew up. And now that's our bread and butter. And so the business has evolved a lot over the last six, seven years, but our, 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 um, our big entry into big business happened to be through these YouTube communities and servicing some of the largest stars in the world. That to me is just an unbelievable story and the amount that you've been able to accomplish in those seven six seven eight years yep is just mind-boggling like that that 33 million dollar revenue number um off of a single line a lot of people that aren't in merchandising or fashion may hear that and be like wow that's big when you think about just the amount of inventory that is and the amount of like insane logistics that goes that's just mind-boggling um, there must have been like a pretty crazy moment for you where you were thinking back to your early days of trying to print your own stuff. And I've been there. I've, I've printed shirts. Mm-hmm. I've done that whole same thing of like, I want to do all this cool stuff and I have all these ideas, but then you run into the hard limits of print runs and yeah, needing of capital course. for it. There must have been a crazy moment for you where you were sitting there going, you know, I was worried about printing 50 mediums in this print run and now I'm managing I assume thousands of, of shipments a day of yeah. clothing and inventory. Um, was that a moment for you? Is there a specific point where you step back and we're like, this is really real now? Um, yes. So the first day when he launched, um, we were all sitting around a table and had the Google analytics up on the, um, on the TV and, I remember when I was doing my viral moments, you would have a couple hundred people on the site or a thousand people on the site and you would just watch Google analytics and you just start to understand just by Google analytics, like if this many people are in your store and this many people are at checkout, you could expect this many people to sign in and out or, or, or buy. Um, and it just became when he launched it, like we just saw these numbers that were like 50,000 people on the website. And it was like, what is like, what is going on here? And then like you're, phone because when you have your shopify account you would get those dings when you get sales yeah. but when you're in when you're doing numbers of say you're getting 25 50 orders a day um that's not annoying it, our phones became like ding, ding, it just was like a, a song it was just like it never ended um so the first thing was holy cow this is unbelievable how exciting to actually how the hell are we gonna one manage this like we're not used to that yeah. um we never seen that and and so we had to really bring our troops together like i mean my wife really stepped in and and took over and she she runs her operation now so she's she's unbelievable but just the way that she operates and the way that she handles business um we needed that um at that time just organization i'm 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 a visionary um i'm a i'm a salesman i'm a networker 
Um, I have grand ideas, but when it comes to straight operations, that's not my thing. So immediately she stepped in and, and managed that. Um, and then we had a couple um, outside groups that came in, these, these, these young kids that were just geniuses. That wow moment of one, like we didn't even, I guess you could say like when you sell that much, like when you deal with your vendors, like you have credit with your vendors. So we had credit with our vendors at a certain level. But when you're talking about, I need to go buy, you know, yeah. a, a $100,000 run of t-shirts at one time, you, we didn't have enough credit with them to even buy that. So we were leaning on relationships that I built even a couple of years before that, um, that I had to tap into and say, hey, I know that you order shirts, you guys order it at the highest level for like Victoria's Secrets and all and all these big companies. Like we have this situation here where I, I have no idea how I'm going to, one, purchase this and two, I don't have enough credit with these companies to even buy, even though I have the cash, I don't have enough credit with them because I haven't built it up yeah. long enough to do that. So we, it was immediately into problem solving mode of like, how do you manage this? How do you even just buy enough t-shirts to, to keep the runs going or service the, the orders? And then how do you even now start managing forecasting of like, how do you even keep things on the shelf for you to maximize this opportunity? Um, especially with a guy like a Logan Paul, who is a master marketer, like he never, he doesn't turn back then. He never turned it off. So he was going viral every day. He was something in his mind would go off and he would have an idea and then he would want it out the next day. And it was like just managing the, the marketing genius of him and matching that to then also mirroring your operation to even keep up. So yeah. um, that moment was when we saw the order starting to come in of like excitement to then now like, holy shit, we actually have to like get this out. And it was way more than just making it. It became the vendor's relationship, logistics, the, the, the couriers, the fulfillment centers, like everything became a big operation day one and just putting that together. So it took a lot of time and effort and, and, and just the right people to, to make it happen. But it was, um, that's when we saw like, holy cow, this is like out outrageous. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, I can't even, I, I work um, on the strategy side. I see big systems so I can, I can kind of contextualize the scale of, of what you guys are doing to go from zero to a hundred. Yeah. Like essentially overnight on that and having to build out that entire operational scale is, is just mind boggling to me. Um, but now that it seems like you guys have built that, that operational structure out, you've kind of figured out what the business is a little bit more in clarity. The way that I've seen it in Reddit is it almost feels like you guys can serve as a full service agency for an influencer, a brand or a partner that comes in and says, we want to do merchandising. We want to do X, Y, Z, like you did with Maverick. Um, how do you kind of build an organization like that, that can do all of those different functions from the design to the processing to the actual like fulfillment side of it. Yeah, um, absolutely. And and what made you decide that that was the path rather than focusing just on the fulfillment or just on the design? I was forced into that path. I, I like I said, I, I I had my own t-shirt company. I had my own operation. So we had the small infrastructure to start. Very small. It was me and my wife, my brother-in-law, and another guy. And we had a very small operation that did all of that just at a very small scale. Um, and then when we were forced into this operation, um, we basically broke out every department and said, what 
um, what resources do we need in each department that can manage um, that department at the highest level, but also communicate between all of them to make sure that it's operating smoothly. Because when you're doing that type of stuff, you're the hardest part is um, I would say dealing with the um, with the celebrity or the influencer. They are they are super big picture. They are creative as hell. No idea about operations. They they have they are who they are. They are the marketing geniuses. So really just trying to understand who they are and learning about them and how they operate and how they communicate, taking all that information, even though it might not be a lot of information, but then um, incorporating it into the operation and the resources that, that can spit out on the other end a product, the one that they liked and enjoyed, that the customers liked, and then also servicing that. So we just had to scale our departments um, at the time and, and being able to take on, you know, the design side, the e-commerce side, the customer service side is actually a massive part of this because of who they are. Um, it don't matter, you know, there's no winning with those types of guys because if, if someone orders today, they they expect they should get it uh, tonight, you know? And and a lot of it might not even be like they really care. They just, it's just the way that, that you know, the internet works is, is trolling and, you know, any little thing, especially when these influencers become a product, um, now the influencers have to understand they have to deal with the deal with that other side of being a product, which is now customer service people um, talking shit about you or your product or your SERP, whatever it may be. So a lot of that's a challenge. But for us, it was just scaling and we had no option. It was like we were forced into this situation. We weren't prepared for it. And so we just had to do what we had to do. And, and, and but we already had the, the foundation. So that was that was key. And then we just were able to scale that. Um, so that's what our operation was for probably the last the last two years. We kind of did just focus on the fulfillment side. One is, um, you know, social media became so prevalent that everyone had their 15 minutes of fame. Like when we were doing it with um, Logan and Mr. Beast Ninja, like they were the cream of the crop at the top. And there wasn't a lot of people yet. There was a lot, but not like where there is now where TikTok came in and everyone yeah. can become, yeah. you know, that. So. The last two years, we did focus more on one of our operations that was more scalable. Like you could drop, you know, put a product in our building, you know, we get it, we ship it, we handle it, we can handle some of the customer service on the back end of it, manage the inventory, and that became where our most scalable part of our business was. Um, but that, but coming into this, the influencer merchandise is what kind of drove us into this position. And then we kind of um, strategically picked, hey, in order for us to scale to the next step, um, you know, we really wanted to focus on one thing, which was the fulfillment side of that. And that's kind of where we're at now. But without all those, that craziness, we would have never got to mm -hmm. the situation. Yeah, that that makes a ton of sense. Um, I think one thing I, I do want to move to crypto here in a bit. But one yeah, thing that you said in particular that I think kind of highlights the complexity of dealing with these influencers and, and dealing with people that may not have done the operation side yeah. before is exactly what you said around the service, right? Like I'm a YouTuber. I deal with YouTube comments. I deal with social media comments, that type of hate. I've never gotten an email asking for a refund or complaining about shipping before. Yeah. You know, like, and that is just an entirely different paradigm and world to dive into. And so that you guys can step in and provide that are used to provide that. Um, it makes sense. And it, it kind of creates that, that on-ramp. Um, final question before we hop to crypto. It seems like you and, and your family and your team did a really good job of identifying the social media thing yep. before it, anyone else yep. really caught on to it, right? Yep. Was there anything in particular that made you realize 
beyond, you know, them coming into your store and running that. Um, was there anything that made you realize this is big, this is real, there's an opportunity here that like we can invest in and really build something around? Um, or was it more just I had exposure and I was kind of in the right place at the right time? I would say our background of spotting opportunity, um, especially when we started our t-shirt, is probably one of the things that we excelled at best was we were able to see through the noise of like what could go viral. And we were able to capitalize on that. So just in the creative side, we were able to see what's happening in the world, especially in sports, saw something that people could, could connect to and, and spotting that through a lot of noise and then bringing that to life and putting it out as a product and then capitalizing on that. When social media started to hit, I just started to see that people, especially on the YouTube side, it was a different audience. It was, they were invested. They knew everything. Like I would read the comments and they would see and know everything about that influencer. Like if their spoon was in one place in two videos and then the spoon was in a different place, there would be a couple people or tens of 10 people or a hundred people that would comment about why did that spoon move? Is there a re like they were so invested into that in the way that they consumed that um, type of content, it was eye opening of like, this is way more than just someone wearing something or spotting them in a in an ad or something. It was like, holy cow, these people really follow these guys. So anything they say, it moves the needle. So once these guys understood that they had an audience, and then they could eventually put a product out in front of that audience that they believed in. And then they saw what it can do, it became part of a like a business model of like you know they start thinking about what they're wearing what was in the background of them you know they were thinking about what water they were drinking or whatever and it just started to become that and i think we were at the forefront of that to see um how to have product placement and how to um pitch something now logan was a little different he was just insanely driven by you know his brand and money but how to incorporate product placement that wasn't too pushy that wasn't, you know, because some some guys just don't really care about that. They just care about their audience, but some care about the product. So it's the ones who could care about their audience, but also care about their brand. And they mesh that together. So we just saw opportunities there, I think, before anyone else to be able to create brands that they owned um, and, and switch their mindset around everything they touch or anything they talk about. Um, they should at least be thinking about, can I own that before I push that out? Or is this just, you know, a brand deal or whatnot? So a lot of guys are thinking about how they can just push, um, you know, their top funnel into something that they own, not pushing their audience outside of their funnels into other people's um, brand funnels that they might not be able to capitalize on long term. And we kind of figured that out with, you know, learning through, you know, some of the top guys in the world and how they operated. And we created that model, I think. Yeah, that's that's an incredibly revolutionary mindset shift and, and just shift in, in general business practice that I think is incredible. Um, and it, it feels like because you and your team were already kind of aware of that game of we get an athlete wearing a T-shirt at a press conference or in a photo and that drives, you know, we have no idea who those people are, but we get 10 visitors to our website. Yep. That you had kind of already seen that funnel. Yeah, it's probably a small level. Wow, the engagement on these YouTube videos is nuts. Like people aren't just, oh, it's 10 people. It's like if we get 100 views. And at that era, that's when daily vlogging was big. So for them to commit 
a full year or a couple years, like Roman Atwood was doing it for a couple years, just to see someone go on a channel like that and every day commit to their audience, it, it, it's obviously um, not healthy, I would say, for the influencer, maybe not even for the consumer, but but they put that time and effort in and it you have no idea how powerful they were at that point when they were doing daily vlogs like people actually knew them and they lived to wake up and watch their videos and just to see that happen was like holy cow like you could really speak to an audience now on a daily basis and they feel way more connected than if you were on a tv show because a lot of the guys want to go into the tv world and, and that's usually the next step but they won't ever have that real connection like they did when they were doing YouTube. And at that time, that's when daily vlogs was the model, like Roman out and all of them set that up and Logan just nailed it. So they created like this daily touch point with their audience that was just incredible to see unhealthy, but definitely, um, I don't think anyone really knows the power of what that what that really was. And I don't think even people today, there's very few people that do the daily vlogs at that level anymore. But when they were doing it, it was you'd never seen power like that on the Internet. If they just said one thing, the entire community moved and they trusted them. So it was um, it was a, it was. It was one of those aha moments of like, wow, that's the Internet and communities, really communities that can go into the NFT world, too. But communities are really big drivers i mean it's it you can yeah. the community can do it. they can move a mountain so i think that is the perfect segue i mean i'm assuming it's the segue is that why you're interested in web3 and then secondary to that the the point yeah B of the question how did you find web3 and nfts well it started with in 2017 um i got into bitcoin um, a couple of these young guys who helped me with the Logan Paul situation. These, these were young kids right out of high school. Um, they were just little geniuses. They were mesmerizing of the way they could use computers and always knew something about something. And then they start talking about, um, I'm going to move some of these mining rigs into our apartment, but I'm not allowed to. Do you mind if we move some of these rigs into um, the office? And I was like, I don't care. What is it? He's like, oh, these Bitcoin rigs. I'm like, never heard of it. I heard of Bitcoin, but never like dove into it at all. And just from being around these young guys, um, I started to take note of it. Um, I had a little more extra cash in my pocket and I was like, you know what? I'm going to start buying. So I start, you know, buying uh, crypto at that time. So I was buying Litecoin and Bitcoin and a little bit of Ethereum and just all these weird altcoins like Batcoin and weird shit. Um, and that's how I kind of got introduced to it. So I, I was like all in on that every day looking at, the apps and everything that you could do at that point. So I was like all in on it. And then obviously like the bear market happened and it was like, I kind of lifted my head up and I was like, all right, I just forgot about it for like a year and a half or so because it was, the market was so bad. I almost couldn't look at it and I didn't, and, and, and I didn't really understand it enough at the time. And then um, I started to pick it back up. And then a couple of my friends who were um, big into Bitcoin, big into Ethereum were like, hey, you should check out these NFTs. I think you might be interested in it. So they were talking to me early 2000. Uh, what was this? I started to early 2021. So last year, early, probably February, March, I started to hear about it, learn about it. Never dove into it, actually. Just was reading about it, learning about it. And then... Um, probably around November, I just said, you know what? I get it. Like, 
because to me these nft brands were brands like they were visual so i get creative um they were talking about communities i got community so to me all the things that i've built in my life i'm like i think i have an eye for um things and so i kind of dove right into it and my first purchase was a doodle and um i just was drawn in by 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 the community by the art really the art was just fantastic and i could just see a bigger picture there i see this being mainstream um and then so the doodle was like my first perch i had like a small one i forget what it was um actually when i first got into it i was just buying like my first couple purchases were like oh i like that i'm gonna buy it and i had no idea what the hell i was doing i was like okay yeah. a week later i was like <laughs> i'm just buying things because i i like it i have no idea who this person is who created it what it means i had no idea um, so then once I got into doodle, it like kind of triggered like all the things I've learned in my previous, you know, merch life that this kind of relates to this where I, it's brand, it's community, it's, it's art. And it just made sense for me. And then I kind of just really dove in into the NFT space and, and just had a lot of fun with it and, and um, just learned so much about um, utility and how Ethereum and can be scaled with this and um, you know, it was like the first true use case that I saw with um, crypto of like, all right, I own Bitcoin, but I'm not really ever going to spend my Bitcoin. I'm going to hold on to that. Or when I had Ethereum, like, what am I going to use Ethereum? Like, it didn't quite connect until NFTs came around. It's just like it just the light bulb clicked and I totally jumped all in on it and, and just and, and, and just really dove into um, these communities and Twitter and all the things that where these communities. Now, I'm not big in the discord. I can't get into the discord for some reason. I know it's. If you're in NFTs, Discord's a thing. It's just, it's just so much. So I, I didn't dive into the Discord side of it, even though I probably should. I just, it's just way too much for me right now. But I just love looking at what people say. Um, the, uh, you know, the artists, the, you know, all the operators, the community building. It just is really intriguing to me, and and and, it, and it's drawn me in, and and it's definitely one of my passions since November of last year. That makes a ton of sense, and I think beyond that, it does seem to fit kind of the model of things that have fit in your wheelhouse historically, right? But still like very innovative technology, new frontier. But like you were saying, it's community, it's design, it's culture. There almost certainly is going to be a big merchandising aspect um, to a lot of these communities. Uh, it's just fascinating to see how you can kind of continuously find these new areas and verticals that are relevant to you and, and what you're working on. Um, I'd really love to get your perspective on where you see it going, but like particularly around merchandising and, and brand building. We have a lot of projects right now that exist, um, but what they are is a little nebulous or unclear, right? You have, kind of have these NFTs, you have the design. Do you have a general kind of model of where this goes? Like a view of what the next daily vlog is for NFTs? I think it's if, when people say it's early, everyone likes tweeting. It's we're early, we're early. Um, I do believe we're we're early because I think we're in a semi echo chamber with each other. Because in order for you to get into NFTs, you have to one first get into crypto, understand that a little bit. Um, you got to get into holding a wallet, keeping security at the forefront, um, understanding MetaMask or whatever all those things are. So the first initial entry point isn't going to bring in the general just culture person that likes just, oh, I just love that community. Or I just love 
um, that merchandise. In order for you to even get to that point, you got to go through these steps. So to me, we could be at a point where I think we're almost too early for it to quite click to people because they have to go through so many hurdles in the beginning just to get to the point of maybe purchasing something and then maybe getting it hacked or maybe something happens that that, that is a very, there's, there's a lot of friction there. But I think over time, the ownership side of NFTs is the hook. When people start to understand ownership, which we understand in the physical world, like I own my house, I own my car, um, I own that shirt. That's the tangible part of it. And, it, and, it's, and people can really connect to that. What's happening is digital ownership is where we're at and people don't quite understand. It's the whole right click save thing. Like they don't quite understand what that means. You could do that, but you can't sell that and, and, and make money off of that. Or you're really not part of that community from the outside. You are, you can look at it and watch it, but to have that ownership that's connected to you, that allows you access or shows that you are um, in this community at a deeper level is really where it becomes powerful and right now we're not there yet the friction is 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 too is 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 just there and it's just time i don't think there's something you can do overnight um that will change that i think it's just time that will allow the innovation the us experience and everything to catch up to allow the average person to say oh i want to purchase that and it's very frictionless it's not i have to go into all these um, platforms i have to hold my ledger i got to do all these things and then before i even get to that um research you know you know what you know all the things that it takes to even purchase so to me i think um we're just early i think time's going to tell but i think the upside of this is going to be massive and i think the nfts is just like the first use case of it or the first case study I think there's going to be more like I think in like tickets and, and music that I think will get people to understand it even more. And then I think NFTs become much larger than me saying I'm going to go get a doodle or a board ape or a moonbird. Um, I think it becomes no, I can there'll be a lot of these communities I can be a part of or be an owner in um, or have ownership of something that gets me access to something. And I think it would look like something in your wallet, kind of like your Apple wallet where I can use these things now to access things and, and it might not just be um art it could be small little social clubs it could just be hey i'm into um this sports team and these are our little sports clubs that we're a part of or these um fantasy sports things like I, I think once that becomes you know it gets a little more mainstream and i think they will just come back into every part of our society i think we'll have some part of this technology in it um, it might not look the way it looks today but the way it's used as ownership, I think is going to really then take off and become mainstream. And I think it's just early right now. And, 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 and I think it's, it's just hard for the average person to get over those first couple hurdles. Once we figure that out, I could see it becoming um, as big of a technology or innovation that I think we've ever seen. Truth, I mean, truthfully, it's just hard to wrap your head around it for the average person. Even me, it's hard to even understand it, but I know where it's going. I could feel it but it's just going to take time. And I think that's the only cure right now is time. I totally agree. I think the the final comment you had of, I can feel where it's going, um, but it's going to take time. For me, that's, I can feel where it's going, but that there's a level of articulation that isn't there yet for a lot of people. Like I, in the space, yeah. I think there's a ton of people who use the software and kind of understand what it means to own something. 
But if yeah. their friend asks them, they kind of stumble a little bit. And they're like, yeah. well, and also too, I would you know. say it's the financial side of this. So if I, yeah, if I wanted sure. to become a, uh, let's say I'm from Pittsburgh, a Steeler fan, and we created this whole NFT Steeler world. Um, right now, most people can just join a community and have fun with it. And there's no financial obligation or risks to it. It's like, oh, I'm a part of this. Where people look at this now is like, well, in order for me to do this, it's a financial decision now. I think eventually the NFTs game won't be as financially driven in a lot of areas. It's just a, a group. This is just a way to connect the group. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that will bring in a lot of people because a lot of them might not want to take the risk or have the money to, to do that, but they want to be a part of it. So I think right now we're at the at the top of the food chain of financial is at the forefront. Like I'm going to get into Moonbirds or Doodles or that. Yes, I love the community. Yes, but there's also a massive financial part there. There's upside or downside, and that's always going to drive my decision making. Um, eventually, people don't want to be every time they play with an NFT. It's like it's a massive financial decision. No, I just want to be a part of that community. I like that art. I like that guy or I like my friends are in it, whatever it may be. But I don't want it to be like, oh, one day it's up 10 percent or down 10 percent. And now I'm like, well, do I even want to be in this community because it's affecting my bottom line? I think eventually yeah. the NFTs won't be so transactional when it comes to the to the investment side. It will be more community based and there'll be a whole world of that. And, and then a couple people are going to play in the financial side. And, and I think the upside is just the frictionless um, communities that don't have quite the the risk when it comes to financial decision making. And that's the hard part now, too, is just getting people in. It's like, well, in order for me to make money, like they're looking at NFTs as to make money. And I, and a lot of us are, but that's just a whole nother mindset. Like now you're in it, you're, you're widening that wave. I think the mental health part of it, there's a lot of things going on that is semi-toxic there, but I think it's necessary to go through this. The people who are still here, the people who are going through the bear markets and going like those people are such a necessity because they are going to fight through all of that. They are going to kick and kick and scream about all the problems and they're going to be pissed, but you need that type of dialogue for it to be figured out with the with with let's call them the degens so that the other people when it's time and, and everything catches up they did all the hard work they asked all the hard questions they 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 went through the struggles the mental struggles the financial struggles the wins and losses for this to really take off for the average user um but to me this is all necessity even though it's it's painful um going through these bear markets having these types of conversations about finances and about all these things is important so it can be settled with the people who really believe in it or who are just crazy enough to, to stick in it for allow other people that don't want to go through all that mess because that's a turnoff to have a, a an experience on the other side of that that is more suitable to the everyday user that could be the everyday. totally yeah totally totally agree um as we kind of move towards wrapping this up i know we said we would yeah. keep it kind of 45 um do you have a final message or uh, message, I guess is the right word, to that community of people that are here right now? Something you would want to tell them as we're kind of working through those questions and resolving those ideas? Something you'd want them to think about, at least? Um, I think I think the people who are still in it fighting the battle are the most valuable part of the community is this dialogue. Um, this, you know, we're, we're all going to make it. We're not going to make it. Um, 
all these expressions that come that create conversation, I think is as valuable as anything in a community. And, and the people who are having those conversations, who are arguing on Twitter, who are doing all these things, I think it's a necessity to expect more from each other in the founders and how the how everything is, how the infrastructure is laid out, because this has to be done and figured out. And it's going to be a hard fought bottle battle. People are going to win. People are going to lose. But this is the most important piece of because this is actually the foundation of the next step, because if it's going to take people like us who are still here fighting for everything, questioning everything, um, happy for people, all those things need to come and have that that grand um, dialogue and conversation for on the other side to be able to create something that's much better for everyone. So I look at all these conversations not as technically negative. I look at them as radically candid and it has to be figured out for this to move forward. So I'm, I'm just appreciative of the actual value that people are really giving to these communities and within the NFT space that they are having these hard conversations and to be able to still be here through what's been going on over the last six months, um, seven months, whenever, how long it's been, it, it really shows that the technology in the future, people still see the future through the pain. That's when it usually if there's so much pain, people get out. It's the ones who are still fighting for that. They're going to come out on the other side. They might not win. Like sometimes you could be too early, but they are the ones who are setting it up for the next group of people just to see the light and to see like, Oh, I kind of get it more now. Or I'm, all right, I checked it out over this bear market. Now it's time for me to get in. And I think, you know, just giving praise to those people in, in the communities that are having these arguments, it's not bad. Is it some of the internet can get toxic. We get that it's unhealthy, but conversation is the most important thing in this community, in this market, in this um, environment for the next step to happen. And if it doesn't happen, if these aren't happening, um, we're not, we're never going to get there. So I'm just appreciative. And, 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 and those people are very valuable. And like I said, it's not always about winning and losing. You're setting it up for the next step. And um, so they're just still here, which is crazy. I mean, I'm still here um, and I, and I, but I love it. And it's, um, and I just love learning something new. Like there's always something new to learn. Um, and it fits in my wheelhouse, like we talked about. And um, I'm just excited for the future and, and to see how these communities are going to drive um, the next step of business on the e-commerce side to um, social media to how we look at data um, and to how you know you can track history and, and I think now is a this is just a, an unbelievable opportunity even though I think we are very very I think we're earlier than I think we're earlier than we actually think I hope you enjoyed that interview if you'd like to connect with Brandon, you can find them on Twitter at Fuschievum, which is at F-U-S-S-C-H-E-A-T-H-A-M. And if you'd like to connect with me, you can find me on Twitter as well at It's Luca WM. I'd like to extend a huge thank you to Brandon for joining me on the show today. It was incredible hearing your story and the way you've managed to build this company is inspiring. And as always, huge thank you to the entire Thingdoms community. None of this is possible without you. If you know someone that should be featured on this show, reach out on Twitter or on Discord. I'd love to hear your perspective. Stay thingy, do good things, and I'll see you next week.